Welcome to the Work Camper Show, brought to you by WorkCamper.com. This podcast helps you discover how to finance your RV travel dreams. Each one of our episodes will introduce you to people who are already living the RV lifestyle or to work camping opportunities all around the U.S. You'll also learn how to hit the road the right way and make the most of every opportunity. Now let's turn over today's show to your host, Greg Gerber. With a few days remaining in July, it doesn't seem like the right time to talk about taxes. But the accountant I'm interviewing today assures me that now is the best time to think about taxes to avoid end-of-year surprises. Today's episode is sponsored by WorkCamper News. If you have more questions than answers when it comes to work camping and the RV lifestyle, then don't worry, WorkCamper News has your back. Attend a free monthly work camping Q&A webinar to get your questions answered. Each month, the knowledgeable team behind WorkCamper.com hosts a free live webinar where they answer questions submitted by folks just like you who are learning about the RV lifestyle or just getting started or have been work camping for a while. They cover topics like what kind of work camping jobs are available, what do those jobs pay, tips for writing a work camper resume, questions to ask an employer, what type of RV is best to use, how to get your mail as an RVer, and much more. In the description of each video, you'll find a list of questions that were answered so you can quickly jump to the sections you want to hear. Register for the next live webinar at workcamper.com forward slash answers. Or listen to detailed answers now by watching the recordings of past Q&A webinars on the Work Camper News YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash workcamper and click on the Q&A on Work Camping playlist. Heather Ryan is an RVer from Colorado who specializes in helping work campers and other people who operate small businesses. Although she offers bookkeeping services, Heather excels in tax preparation. In fact, she calls herself the tax queen. Heather is what the IRS calls an enrolled agent. It is the highest credential a tax professional can attain from the IRS because it allows the tax preparer to represent taxpayers before the IRS in any official proceedings. Consequently, Heather can work with clients across the country, and last year she helped people file taxes in 33 states. Heather and her husband are part-time RVers at the moment, but they were actually full-time RVers for five years. She supported their travel lifestyle with her tax preparation business. Heather understands the RVing and work camping lifestyle, which gives her unique insight into special deductions and tax challenges RVers face. She addresses some of the more common tax challenges that work campers face, as well as issues around operating a business, like RV maintenance, in multiple states. She also addresses a very common question regarding expenses RVers can deduct from their taxes, like mileage and RV maintenance costs. Heather even identifies some red flags that could draw attention of various taxing jurisdictions. She offers advice about the best ways to keep tax records. To tell us more about her business and ways RVers can navigate the sometimes tricky tax landscape, please welcome the tax queen, Heather Ryan, to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Heather. I really appreciate your time. So how long have you been involved with tax preparation? Tax preparation, it's been, I'm at almost 10 years. 10, I guess 10 years, yeah, 2013. So, What prompted you to get into that? I was already doing bookkeeping. So I was already into numbers and all that stuff. And my mother-in-law had was an EA. 
and she had some tax clients and she said, hey, Heather, do you want to learn the business? It's yours if you want it. And so I spent a few years with her working under her and then took over her clients and she was in the in the background if I need some help or had some questions, but I was really the front face of the business by then. Did you go to school for any of this too? To become an EA, so an EA is an enrolled agent, you actually have to pass exams in order to get your license. So I just did some self-study and passed all three exams. Other than that, I do have a degree, but it's not in numbers or accounting. <laughs> <laughs> a computer science degree so okay yeah. that's logic and things like that and you certainly need that to do good bookkeeping sure yeah uh, that's true i have never heard of an enrolled agent what is that so an enrolled agent is a license by the irs so our specialty is taxes versus a cpa that learns taxes and accounting bookkeeping auditing like all of the all of the above okay so that's the difference and cpa is licensed by the state Versus EA is licensed by the IRS. By the IRS. Wow. So does that give you a greater insight into federal tax code and things like that when you are an enrolled agent? I don't know that it gives you. It's just a matter of how much you learn and how much you read and keep up with things. We do have a continuing education requirement in order to keep our licensing. And we have to show that every year to the IRS that we've proven we've taken those education classes to keep up with all the tax law changes. But it also means that I can represent taxpayers in all 50 states. I'm not limited at all. Sometimes CPA is more limited to their state. That's good to note as well. So you can yeah. help prepare, help work campers anywhere prepare their taxes. Yes. To date, I think I've filed in with like 33 states or something like that. <laughs> I was working it out with somebody, looked at the map and I was marking them all. Wow, I've done a lot. <laughs> and what makes you special, Heather, is that you are also a part-time RVer. I am, yes. So we are currently part-time. We were full-time for five years. So I definitely get the lifestyle, the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations. <laughs> and I just, they're my tribe. Yeah, travelers, RVers, I get you. Yeah. Wonderful. And what prompted you to get into that lifestyle? Oh, great question. <laughs> So there were kind of several factors. My husband and I were working from home, both of us, like remotely in a shared spare bedroom. And we looked at each other and we said, we're in this 12 by 12 office, basically. Why can't we do this from anywhere? We're in this big house and we spend all day in this one tiny room. <laughs> and I also lost my dad before retirement. And my husband lost an aunt just about a year before we hit the road. And so she never got to retire either. And we just said, why can't we live now? and travel and see the world, or at least the U.S. and Canada and Mexico, because we've done all three in the RV. Yeah, so that's what prompted us. And we also both love to travel. So I'm finding myself, even though we have a home base now, I get antsy if we spend too long here. I need to go out and see new things and meet up with our RV friends. That What's the saying we always say? It's never goodbye. It's see you down the road or see you later. Yeah, until next time. <laughs> that's a good point. Now you're doing some international traveling, I understand. But do you still yeah. own an RV? We do currently still have a fifth wheel. We are making some changes there as well. So we're switching to we van. And we all hope to do three to six months international as well. Yeah. Very good. And where do you base your business out of? I technically own a Florida business. <laughs> okay. Because when we were full-time, we were Florida residents. And I moved everything to Florida. 
And when we move to Colorado as our home base, I just keep it in Florida. It's not a problem. What kind of services can you provide to work campers? I mostly do tax preparation, but I'm doing, I do tax advising or tax planning as well. So we'll just look at your tax situation before tax time. We like to look at it beforehand and I get all of the things, all the moving parts, see what's going on and just give you a prediction and help you stay on track so that there isn't a surprise at tax time. And if there's any kind of savings options, I can get that for you. We can get that started now. Now, actually, summertime is the best time to do that so that we have time to implement any changes, make them. That's very good to note. So this is a good time to start thinking about taxes next year rather than waiting until December and saying, I wonder if I need to do anything. (laughs) Correct. Yes. So summertime is great. And especially I'm actually getting people now that say I had this really bad surprise in whatever, March, April, whenever they filed. And they say, I want to avoid that coming up for next season. I don't want that surprise. I didn't like that $10,000 bill. (laughs) So let's get you on track now. And that way it is, if you are going to owe, we can keep you on track. So you can pay some estimates and make sure you're saving for that instead of getting a complete surprise and having to come up with that money. Are there any common issues that most work campers face? Depends on the state where you're work camping. So I actually see a lot of companies or campgrounds, however, the person that's doing the hiring, treating work campers as 1099, and they really should be W-2. So if you're working on site at hours described by the business that you're working for, usually I say usually campgrounds, but it can be other things, right? People work camp at Amazon and all kinds of other stuff. So yeah, if you're doing that, you should really be a W-2 employee and they should be responsible for taxes. When they make you a 1099 contractor, you technically can take expenses, but they're covering all of that, right? They're they're providing the computer or software if you have to work in an office and do sales. They're providing your maintenance equipment if you have to do mow the lawn or keep things going on in a campground. I'm just, I'm stuck on this campground thing, but I know there's other <laughs> jobs. <laughs> a lot of work campers uh, do work in campgrounds. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, I just really like to push people to make sure that they are a W-2 employee. And if not, because you really won't have any expenses and then you're stuck for those self-employment taxes. So when you're a 1099 contract worker, you have a business technically and you have to pay self-employment taxes on it, your social security and Medicare. So that's usually the big surprise. And then just knowing if you have a state, so if you spent the summer in Wisconsin, we're camping that you may have a state tax return and owe some state taxes there. I just picked Wisconsin randomly. If the employer has made you a 1099 contractor, what would a work camper have to do to convince them to make them a W-2 employee instead? Show them the IRS regulations of the contractor versus an employee. Okay. Yeah. And... Sometimes if it helps to get their a lawyer or con- they have a tax preparer involved to just, hey, here's the tax code, you have to legally comply. Okay. I would imagine that some employers like to have the flexibility of using 1099 employees because or 1099 contractors because they don't have to provide for a lot of things like the workers' compensation insurance and uh, many of the other employment-related requirements. Mm-hmm. They don't have to pay the employee in tax, all of that stuff, withhold the Social Security and Medicare. And that's a problem. The IRS and even the state say that they have to. Okay. So I guess that 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 is hard. It's not always easy 
to turn down something if you are looking for that work camping job and that's what's helping you stay out on the road. But it's just really worth the discussion to have if they're open to it. Good point. So what happens for work campers who are work camping in multiple states? Does that mean they have to be filling out multiple state tax forms? It does, unfortunately. <laughs> and usually, so if you're a W-2 employee of the business, depending on what state that is, if you're in multiple states, they're going to withhold the state taxes throughout that time that you're working there. And each state has a different threshold, right? So it might be 5000 in one state and it might be 10000 in another where you start owing state taxes. But I almost always see state taxes withheld from work camping jobs. And so sometimes it means just filing in that state to get that money back because you didn't earn enough to have to pay. And sometimes it means that you are going to owe a little bit because some states will not call it mean, but they kind of, I think they overstep and they want to tax your entire income. That's a problem. I've heard that from several other people. The state. And that's why I say it's overstepping to me because your entire income is not earned in that state. You just spent three months there working, but it is what it is. Those are their laws. <laughs> are work campers penalized by that kind of thing? Because many states, they give you a little break if you're a resident as opposed to a non-resident. So if you have three non-resident tax returns coming in, are you paying like maximum taxes in every state that you're in? Not necessarily. It really depends on the states that you're working in and also other income. So if your other income is Social Security or retirement income, many states give a break for that anyway. So you wouldn't be taxed on that. But yeah, that's a hard question because there's, there's technically 43 states that have income tax, right? We have that seven without... And they all have different rules and regulations. So it's really difficult to answer that without knowing what states they were working in. <laughs> That's another good question. So if I have a domicile in a state that does not collect any income tax, mm -hmm. but I've been work camping in a different state and they have not made me a 1099 employee or a W-2 employee, are there any considerations that I have to worry about there? No. So if no. you're, uh, we're the top three, right? We all know that South Dakota, Texas, Florida, right? So none of them will have state income tax and it won't matter whether you are a 1099 contractor or a W-2 employee, or if you have retirement income, pension or anything that you're collecting, none of them will have state tax and it doesn't matter. Okay. So if I'm a Florida resident who's working in Montana for the summer, I can still expect to pay taxes in Montana, or at least file a tax return there. Correct. Oh, yeah. very good. And so this yeah. is something that would have to be done for every state in which I am doing work camping, correct? Correct. Right. As long as they have state income tax. So if you were camped in Texas for the winter, guess what? No state income tax. <laughs> that would be but, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what if you own a business in and you're running that out of your RV and your business is licensed and I guess set up in one of these non-income tax states. But, and for example, I'll use like an RV inspector or a mobile RV technician who just fixes RVs wherever they go. Are they required yep. to file tax returns in every state in which they're doing business? So that's a really sticky question. Yes, I'm it is. Say. So particularly people that are physically working in a state, such as an inspector or someone who's doing repair work. I also see it for travel nurses. I vote you, you do have to pay in each state. So when I see someone who's doing inspections or repair work, 
I usually suggest that they pick a state that they like to go to. So let's say you like to winter in Arizona. We all know that many RVers winter in Arizona. So that may be a great place to set up your business. Spend from October to March there. Register your business in Arizona. Collect and pay the taxes like as you need to in the state of Arizona. And then spend the summer traveling. And as long as you can earn enough money, you have Mm -hmm. enough going on. And you can also do the opposite. So you could go to spend your summer in Montana or Wisconsin or Oregon or something and and set up shop there. So the, that's usually what I suggest is spend three to five months or six months in a place and set up your business in that state so that you are complying with all legal and tax ramifications. Okay. So if I were an inspector and I set up my business in Arizona and I was happening to travel through Wisconsin and did one inspection... I would be like reporting it as income in Arizona, right? So I'm just making that connection to be reported there, but I would not necessarily have to file a special tax return in Wisconsin to do that? Correct. And the big thing there is that you're really not earning enough money in Wisconsin. So how much is an inspection? A hundred, a thousand, depending on the RV, right? How complicated it is. So you're not earning enough money there to have to pay. But I have heard of situations because I do have some clients that do RV inspections or RV repair. And depending on the location in the city, if the city or town or whatever catches on to what's going on, they're going to require a license. Okay. So that's that's the problem. When you get to Wisconsin and you're not licensed in that state, you're not registered anywhere. If someone gets wind of that, it's you're technically operating illegally in that okay. state. That's good to note. So it's something yeah. for people to take and. To consider when they're out there traveling. So we're not only looking at state rules, but we're also looking at county or city regulations if they have rules that you have to register your business there, especially if you're in an RV park and you have it plastered on the side of your truck or whatever. Maybe you have on even just a magnet or something advertising it. It's not exactly under the radar. Exactly. And it Depending- also makes it easier to advertise. So let's say you spend the winter outside of Phoenix or something. And Mesa, Arizona, let's say, because that's a popular one. It's just easier to advertise. And people know that your business is going to be there in November or January when they have a problem. I just, I know some states are so broke that they're going to come after anybody, any way to yeah. get that quarter. Exactly. <laughs> Pursue, they'll spend $100,000 pursuing somebody to get 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah. I, it's true. And that's, I just like to make sure that nobody gets surprise letters from states, from counties, from cities. I've had someone that had a problem if they were in an RV park in the winter in Arizona and they were not registered there. And the owner of the RV park caught on and said, you can't do that. It's illegal. And I, you, I'll kick you out. Like, you can't stay here if you're going to do that. So they, had, they were forced to register in that. Okay. Very so. good. Are there any deductions that RV owners can have by traveling that they can, that can come off of their taxes? Nothing specific. It's not really any different than if you were stationary in a house. You can't, there's not extra special things. If you can itemize, which the standard deduction is so high nowadays, most people are not itemizing. But if you can and you have a loan on your RV or travel trailer fifth wheel, you might be able to take that interest on that loan. Again, I'm not seeing too many people itemize, so that's it's a lost deduction at this point. But who knows what the rules might change whenever the government decides, right? So we always have to keep our eye on that. And then if you're a business owner. So business owners can take a little bit more depending on what their industry is. 
and you know who they're serving. So sometimes it's mileage. They can take some of the mileage. Sometimes it's some campground fees. Obviously, all the traditional business expenses, any software or tools needed to do their work, certifications or education that they need to go to, attending a conference or a rally or something for your business, like all those costs. What about business use of your RV itself? So technically, I always say no, there's never business use of an RV. And it's such a tiny space that we really can't devote any space exclusively for business. And the exceptions that I see are if you have a toy hauler and you use that garage, I say I see like an artist or somebody, maybe you all have an RV inspection or repair business and all your tools are back there, things like that, or a bunkhouse. So those would be the two spaces. But it's also such a tiny space that it's not that great of a deduction. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking more about I am traveling from Wisconsin to Arizona. Can I deduct my mileage to do that if I'm serving clients in both states? And this is where it gets very there. sticky. <laughs> this is why we need tax professionals, right? Yeah, but technically it's your home. You're just moving your home. And sometimes it's about you as an individual taxpayer. Are you a risk taker? Do you want to put the mileage on there and have it be a red flag? Because I'll tell you, mileage, high mileage is a red flag. So making sure you have really good logs written can also be electronic because we all have apps and these fancy phones that we carry around with us. So that's important. And I just work with my one-on-one -on -one individually. What's your situation? And yeah, what's your risk? You had mentioned, you? mentioned red flags. Are there any others that people tend to ignore to their peril? Mileage. So just hit on them. mileage and home office or your RV as a home office. Those are the two red flags. The other thing I see is somebody who's donates large charity. So if you give five, 10,000 or something to a church or to some other organization, and that sometimes can be questioned. So make sure you have your record. I'm sure that the changes to the standard deduction took care of a lot of those kind of problems that people had in the past, where they would be tempted uh, to increase the amount for of charity, yes, but for the mm -hmm. business stuff, so, so your mileage and your home office, that those are still on there if you have a business. The biggest problem that people have is tax avoidance, because that is the nasty penalty. They can take deductions even if they're ridiculous, and if they're caught, they have to pay back the taxes and the penalties and things like that. Correct. But avoidance, not reporting the income on the top line, that's a naughty thing. I understand. Yes. Is that correct? Correct. So there's avoidance and there's just fraud. So fraud is actually criminal. So most people are worried, well, the IRS, I, I messed up, something's going to happen, they're going to come and put me in jail. And I was like, no, the IRS is never going to put you in jail unless you commit fraud. So fraud is a criminal offense. And if you do fraud, they can look back as far as they want for your tax returns. If it's just literally, I forgot to do that, I forgot that form, I forgot I had that thing, you just fix the mistake, you pay any penalties or interest to go with it, and you move on. You'd mentioned tax records. That's a biggie because people, I don't think, really understand how long they have to keep tax records. When yes. you look it up on the IRS site, they tell you a certain number of years, but then they have all these exceptions that if any of these might apply to you, then you have to keep it forever. And really the exception is fraud. If you're committing fraud, like I said, they can look back as long as they want. Normally, I think it's six years. I personally, as a professional that is filing returns, only have to keep returns three years. So 
with electronic stuff now, right? We can put things in into Google Drive or to Dropbox or any other of these services. I just say keep it. It's not it's not hurting anyone. It's not taking a file cabinet in your room. <laughs> so why not just keep it and not have to worry about it? That's right. Are there any problems with states requiring tax records to be kept longer than the federal government? No. no. States will almost always comply with federal. They may have obviously some specific stuff, but they always have to, they're pretty similar usually. Super. Do you work with new clients? I do. I work with new clients. I take on new clients every year. My list will fill up and I will be at capacity. So if people are interested in working with me, I usually say reach out November, December or early January to get onto my list so that I don't close you out. <laughs> you had mentioned earlier that it's nice for people to communicate with you right now about tax mm -hmm. issues. So if somebody yeah. were interested in hiring you as a tax professional, would it be better to contact you now or would you prefer that they wait toward the end of the year? It's really up to them. I do have people, like I said, reaching out to me now in the summer. Things are slower for, I'd say, everybody. We're all enjoying ourselves and relaxing, enjoying the weather, hopefully. And so it's a good time to just touch base. But I've had definitely plenty of people come to me in October, November, and that's fine too. So, How could people get in touch with you if they'd like to establish a relationship? Sure. So my website is really the number one place, and that is tax-queen.com. And there is a contact form on there. You can schedule a discovery call right there. I'm also on social media. If you're interested in connecting me and just getting some general tax advice, and sometimes I share just travel things as well. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Is there a cost to have that discovery call? So I do charge for the discovery call. If you become a client, that charge gets credited to your first invoice so that you technically get it for free. <laughs> Good to note. Do you file based on the number of hours that it takes you to prepare a return, or do you have a flat rate based on just you need a 1040, 1040 form and that's yeah. what it's going to cost. So great question. I am a flat fee. So depending on how many states you might have to file in, if it's more than one, and then if you have a business or if you have stock sales, any of those complications, and even if like you have a rental property, things like that, that add complications. Thank you so much, Heather. I really appreciate the time. Taxes baffle me. They always have. And it just... <laughs> And I, my mother was one of those people who thought that she was going to be thrown into jail if she made any mistake at all on her taxes. Yeah. The common misconception. So I want to thank you for having me. It's been fun chatting with you. I appreciate Heather Ryan for taking time to talk to us about an issue that many people find confusing and frustrating. Fortunately, there are people like Heather who enjoy tax preparation as well as tax planning to advise people on ways to keep more of their money. It seems strange to consider tax issues in July, but Heather said it's a good time to review your situation now to avoid surprises next year. One thing Heather highly recommends is that work campers become W-2 employees rather than 1099 contractors. In fact, she says most employers must, by law, make work campers employees instead of contractors. That's especially true when work campers live and work on site. Tax code changes a few years ago to raise the amount of the standard deduction actually makes it easier for work campers to file taxes because they don't have to worry about tracking all their expenses to deduct them on their taxes. 
It can be a challenge for work campers to file taxes in each state where they earned income the previous year, but doing so keeps them out of hot water. Yet, Heather said, most work campers don't make enough income in those states to justify paying taxes, so they usually get their money refunded. Heather is working with new clients, and she's happy to have a discovery call to talk about ways she can help you with your taxes and properly planning a tax strategy so you can keep more of your money. To connect with Heather, visit www.tax-queen.com and fill out the form on the contact page. You can also schedule a time for discovery call on that page. Heather charges $49 for a 15-minute consultation, which is deducted from any fees incurred should a work camper opt to become a client. If you were surprised with a big tax bill last year, I'd encourage you to reach out to Heather as soon as possible to ensure it doesn't happen again in 2024. Today's episode is sponsored by Work Camper News. With its diamond and platinum membership tools, Work Camper News is much more than just a job listing website. When you put the tools of this professional service into action, you find out just how easy it can be to turn your work camping dreams into reality. The one-year memberships open the door to a one-stop shop for all things work camping. Being the original resource for work camping, you'll find the largest number of job listings, be able to connect with the community of work campers, and view resources compiled by experts who've been enjoying the RV lifestyle for many years. If you're serious about leading a successful and enjoyable work camping lifestyle, then a diamond or platinum membership is for you. You can even get started with a free 30-day trial by visiting www.workcamper.com forward slash trial. Embark on new adventures today with the support of Work Camper News behind you. That's all I have for this week's episode. Next time I'll be speaking with an employer who has an opportunity to learn about dogs and bees while doing work on a farm. I'll have that interview on the next episode of The Work Camper Show. Thank you for listening.